Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had, and what a, what a wonderful song to have stuck in our head as we study God's Word together. Let me invite you, as we continue our study through the book of 2 Corinthians, to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, and uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, and uh, working our way down through verse 22, talking about God's power being made perfect in our weakness, and seeing all the, I mean, even so far, we've seen some wonderful displays of what that looks like, and how that looks uh, applied in individual lives and in individual circumstances. And as we come to this passage of Scripture here this morning, it's interesting as you find your way there and, and look and see what God has laid out in front of us. I wonder, as we walked in here this morning, who are you depending on? And as we think about that, and uh, we depend on a lot of people in a lot of ways for a lot of things a lot of times, Right? There are all manner of different people that we are depending on that maybe we realize it and maybe we don't. Maybe we give thanks for them and maybe we don't. Uh, And in an ultimate sense, we not only need to think these things through in our own lives individually, uh, but even more so as we ask the question that ultimately we would understand whether or not you've come in here depending on Christ. Uh, That above everything else, if you leave here today not depending upon Christ, that would be tragic. Our intention and our aim here this morning is to lead you to see what reason, what depth of reason, and what joyful reason you have to depend upon our dependable God that has been revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So grab your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and read with me, if you will, starting in verse 15 down through verse 22. And this is what we read, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 15 says this, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first. So that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Let's pray together. This morning, Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see our great need. Father, stir our hearts to see the great joy in depending upon you. Whatever else may happen here today, may each and every person within the sound of my voice come away with a deeper dependence upon you through faith. In Jesus Christ, God, lead us and guide us for your great glory as we study your word together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So by the time we get to this point here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we've already talked about, you know, uh, the God of all peace, of, of, 
not only the God of all peace, but grace to you and peace from God our Father. And we talked about the God of all comfort comforting us in our affliction so that we may comfort those who are in any affliction. We've talked about the God who raises the dead. And we talked about, even last week, talking about reasons of boasting together in grace and seeing that as we look out into eternity, we can look forward to the fact of boasting in what God has done and is doing in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's really building on that same thing As we get to verse 15, because he says, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first. He's like, I'm so certain of the fact that as we interact with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to have ever increasing more reasons to boast in the grace of God. That he had already made that painful visit that we'll talk about next week. And he wanted to come and see God at work in their midst, which is why he says, not only I wanted to come to you first, he says, so that you might have a second experience of grace. Now, we ought to be careful as we read this passage here, because he's not talking about being slain in the spirit or any number of ways in which you might define that. He's talking about a second experience of grace because he knows that every time that they've been together and even as he spent a year and a half with them, teaching them and discipling them in the truth, he had constantly seen how the grace of God was at work in and through them. You can think of all the ways, you, you can read this really unpacked in 1 Corinthians. You can talk about singleness to the glory of Christ. You can talk about marriage to the glory of Christ. You can talk about lives completely shaped by the gospel. You can talk about the correction of the right use of spiritual gifts. You can talk about widows being cared for. I mean, you could even go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And you could, he could be thinking in his mind of how he had seen the sexually immoral and idolatrous and adulterous and homosexuals and thieves and the greedy and drunks and revilers and swindlers transformed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, justified through faith in him and sanctified by the gospel and seen that bear much fruit. It's amazing just in his own mind of thinking, I would love to come back and see that over and over and over again. And that in this visit, and that you would see and be a witness to, and not only that, a fellow partaker of God's grace at work. See, we ought always to delight in these things. The grace of God at work, lives transformed. We want to see these things on display. And that even as we think of the Apostle Paul, it's not like he's going around doing all of these wild things so that everybody's like, look at the Apostle Paul. Everything in his ministry was about the glory of Christ. Everything was pointing to him. Make sure that we are not functioning with a misplaced confidence because there is some sense in which the Corinthian church had done that very thing. Because they took issue with the Apostle Paul. He had made travel arrangements, right? The itinerary had already been set. He had sent it forward so that people would know, hey, this is the plan. This is what this is supposed to look like. And then, wouldn't you know it, things change. Because he goes on to say in verse 16, he says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. That was the plan. So to come through Corinth up to, uh, well, from your perspective, come through Corinth and up to Macedonia and then back through Corinth and out towards Judea. He's really ultimately planning on two visits, right, is how he's describing this. 
That was the idea. And so he would think, he's, you can read about this in 1 Corinthians 16, right? Leave Ephesus, stop in Corinth on my way to Macedonia, and then come back on my way back from Macedonia, and then reality happened. Riots took place in Ephesus. And then he went to go meet Titus and Troas, and then was worried about the fact that he couldn't find them there. He talks about this later in 2 Corinthians even. So he goes to Macedonia first. And Paul's plans had changed. Has that ever happened to you? Of course that's happened to you, right? It probably happened to you today. You probably planned your breakfast and then realized that's not going to happen today. Had something else entirely. And really, that's how we, we live our lives, especially nowadays, where things change on a dime, don't they? One ding on a cell phone and everything about your day is different. One word from a doctor and everything else changes. One appointment that's being made and sort of inserted into everything else and everything else about how you planned your day and what you thought it was going to look like and everything else looks entirely different. It's amazing how quickly this happens and how we can make all of these plans and then turn around and look at the next moment and be like, it's all gone. It's not even going to be even remotely close to the same thing. But in all of the details of what it looks like when your plans change individually, is that any reason to question your integrity? But see, what was going on in the Corinthian church is that false teachers had come in and be like, look, he's, look at, he changed his travel itinerary. You shouldn't trust him. And so he's challenging that in them. And we're reading this and we're thinking, well, changing plans, that's not really a big deal, is it? But isn't it amazing within the life of a church how simple it is to sow the seeds of discord and distrust? And often the case, it's mild and seemingly insignificant matters that sow the deepest and ugliest forms of discord and disunity. It just takes a little step, a little seed. What great danger there is in missing the point. Of not trusting in God's providence and how he's putting it all together while we're trying to make our own way. And it's as though he's, he's trying to grab their attention here and don't allow the trivialities to divert our attention from the gospel. Depend on God. Don't depend on the Apostle Paul to bring you everything you need. Depend on God. Don't you remember the message that has been preached to you over and over again? That's what he's saying. Because in verse 17, he challenges them here. He says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? And was I being fickle, indecisive, wavering about these things? And honestly, it is exceptionally frustrating when people are indecisive about things. Right? If you've ever been in that crowd of people, and it's like, where are we going to go to dinner? And it's like, oh, I don't know. Where do you want to go? Like, oh, I don't know. Where do you want to go? And finally, somebody from the back of the crowd is like, will somebody just make a decision? It's frustrating, isn't it? He's saying, that's not what was going on here at all. We want the clarity. We want clarity in all things. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? No, that was in his heart. He, that's the desire that he had for reason to boast in the Lord. But plans don't always work the way we make them. I wasn't vacillating when I wanted to do this. We like that kind of clarity. Yes or no. 
You remember when, the elementary school days when you put the little notes together, right, and you learned how to fold all, I could never get the folding right, but right, folded all the little papers uh, together. Do you like me? You have one box? Yes. One box? No. And as you're handing it off, it's be like, don't you make that maybe box. I want a clear answer here. Yes or no. This is how we live with regard to all manner of different things. We need to know. Give me clarity. God is not fickle. But Paul is not God. He wanted to get there. But he didn't get what he wanted. But just because he didn't get what he wanted doesn't reflect on the character of God himself. We need to be clear how we see this and how we're being pointed in this way. Just because things don't work out exactly how we plan them doesn't mean it's God's fault or we have no reason to trust in him. Any, if anything, it should lead us more to trust on God and his faithfulness. Paul says, do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? It's as though he's looking at, at them in his own mind and thinking, who are you ultimately depending upon here? Because how you respond when the plans don't go the way that you thought they would really displays that. He's saying, I'm not making my plans according to the flesh like a an, like an lost person, like someone who's unregenerate without the Spirit of God, ready to doubly affirm and then deny Like somebody calling you and be like, hey, you've got a doctor's appointment tomorrow. Make sure that you're here at 3 o'clock. And you're like, hey, I'll be there. Yep, you hang up the phone. And then just as soon as you do, they'll be like, I'm not going to that. And everybody in the doctor's office wants to come after you when you do that. He's saying, that's not, that's not what was going on at all. That's the picture that's being painted. But in an ultimate sense, who are you depending on? And really, we have to depend on people to some degree. We have to depend on people to do their jobs or have to depend on people, right, in, in manner of all aspects of family life. You have to depend on people even while you're riding down the road, hopefully that they're not going to slam into you for any number of reasons. We depend on people all the time. But ask anyone, anywhere, any parent, any friend, any person who has been around for more than five minutes, do people sometimes fail you? Yes, who are you depending upon here today? And Paul's ministry and real ministry, as we may define it, does not teach dependence upon Paul or dependence upon the pastor or dependence upon the Sunday school teacher or dependence upon anyone other than God himself. Lean on him. Trust in him. Depend upon him. And notice, he immediately takes them there in verse 18. He says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes, or, yes and no. Root your confidence in God's faithfulness. As surely as God is faithful. Well, how sure is this? Absolutely certain. As sure as the sunrise. As sure as the ocean tide. You can read Psalm 36. His faithfulness reaches to the skies. Faithful to his promise. Faithful to save. Faithful to care. Faithful to redeem. Faithful to rec reconcile. Faithful to answer our prayers. And that we root and ground our dependence in he who never fails. 
It's just interesting how often the Apostle Paul would do this with the Corinthian church because this isn't the only place. If you're reading along in 1 Corinthians and you came to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says later on in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Other apostles even made the same statement. God is faithful. So you can walk through your suffering knowing that he's faithful. That's in 1 Peter chapter 4. Or you can think of 1 John 1, 9. That our forgiveness and cleansing is rooted in what? Not how good and great and how much we deserve it. But in the fact that God is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness in Christ. Root all of your dependence In him, remember the dependable message from the dependable God. He says, our word was not yes and no. The preaching of Christ is not this waffling yes and no. The preaching of the gospel that God took on flesh, lived in perfect righteousness, died on the cross for our sin, and rose from the dead, and there's forgiveness and everlasting life in him and in only him. That's not yes and no. Absolute clarity here. He's saying the gospel is not undone by the fine print. Full of contradictions and qualifications where you just infinitely say, well, maybe not. That's not the gospel. It's not like watching the prescription drug commercial where, you know, maybe you've got the affliction that they're describing or whatever on there. And you're like, man, this would work out really good. And then the last half of the commercial, they start listing off the side effects. And you're like, I'm going to need a liver transplant in order to get this fixed. It's not like the infomercial where they lay out all these things. It's like it slices and dices and does all this sorts of stuff. And you could cut through a tin can with it as if you need to do that for some reason. And then you finally order the thing and you get it and you're like, you can't do anything that it promised. The gospel is not like that. The gospel is rooted in the faithfulness of God. Rooted in who he is and what he has done and the absolute assurance of God's faithfulness God's dependability in what God has done. Depend upon him. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. The substance of all genuine Christian preaching is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. This is not a TED Talk. TED Talks are fine. They're informative. You learn all manner of things. This is not that. All genuine Christian preaching must point to Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. This is not about ten ways to more money. This is not about five ways to lower your blood pressure. This is about the exaltation and glory of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the grave. He is the Son of God. And then our salvation requires the Son of God to take on flesh. Our sin is so bad, and it was so deeply wound in our nature that it required God to take on flesh to redeem us. He had to do it because no one else could, and he did. 
He died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead. Only he is qualified because he's fully God and fully man. Jesus, who is the Christ. That we're focusing with all of our attention and all of our affection on one singular Savior. Jesus, the Messiah, who fulfills the three anointed offices of the Old Testament. He's prophet, priest, and king. He is the Messiah. He says... The Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you. We weren't, we weren't proclaiming trust in Paul or trust in Silas or trust in Timothy. Proclaiming trust in Christ. It's like Luke 24, and as Jesus is really unpacking what Christian preaching should look like. That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all people. Depend upon him for salvation and sanctification and growth and comfort and care and wisdom. That proclaiming the excellencies of he who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's about his will and his kingdom come. He's like, this is consistent too. You've seen this. Silvanus, which is really just a Latin form of Silas. This is somebody that... The Corinthian church was overwhelmingly familiar with. He was there in Acts chapter 18 when the church first started. Timothy was there when the church first started. Paul was there when the church first started. He was like, were we disagreeing on the gospel? Was the proclamation any different? Was it yes and no? Did you ask Silas, you know, did Jesus die on the cross for your sin? He's like, yes. And then you look at Paul and like, he says, no. Was it like that? He says, no, it wasn't like that at all. The gospel was clear straight from day one it's not yes and no it's always yes and as we read this we must think to ourselves what does that mean because for us to read in him is always yes does that mean we always get whatever we want does that mean that any question that we can conjure up out of our imagination and throw out out there we're going to get a yes answer to does that mean that Jesus is somehow our, our personal genie just to give us whatever we want? No. In fact, dare I say, it's better than all of that. Because what he then says to explain what it means for in Jesus, it's always yes. He says in verse 20, all the promises of God find their yes in him. Promises... Like what? There's coming one who's going to crush the serpent's head? Yes. There's coming one who's going to atone for sin in full finality and in one sacrifice atone for all of the sin of all who would repent and believe? Yes. That there's a priest coming in the line of Melchizedek who is both priest and king and in addition to that he's a prophet who's greater than Moses? Yes. The one who can rightly judge his people? Yes. The shepherd of the sheep? Yes. The strength of our souls? Yes. The one who stirs in us courage? Yes. The light to the nations? Yes. The wonderful counselor? Yes. The almighty God? Yes. The king of glory? Yes. The branch of David? Yes. The root of Jesse? Yes. The suffering servant? Yes. The hope of the ages? Yes. The one through whom and by whom all of our sin is cast into the uttermost parts of the sea? Yes. The one who gives us joy no matter the circumstances, like what's described at the end of the book of Habakkuk? 
Yes, the pierced one through whom the fountain is opened up for the cleansing and the forgiveness of our own sin. Yes, our only advocate before the Father. Yes, the Son of God in the flesh dwelt among us, lived in perfect righteousness, died our death, endured our hell on the cross, said it is finished, laid down his life, three days later rose from the grave, and through him we have justification and reconciliation with God the Father from now into all eternity Yes, that's our Jesus. All of the promises of God find their yes in him. That's better than anything we could have ever imagined. And then when you start to make application of all that, could it be? Yes. Is it really this great? Yes. Every convicted sinner knowing that you don't measure up, knowing that you don't deserve forgiveness, and you come to Jesus and you, could, you say, could you forgive even me? Yes. Could you love me? Yes. Is there hope? Yes. Is there life? Yes. Is there grace? Yes. Is there supply for my marriage? Yes. Is there contentment for my singleness? Yes. Is there satisfaction for my soul? Yes. Could there be a sure and certain anchor for my soul? Yes. Is there one who can sustain me through trials? Yes. Is there strength amid weakness? Yes. Is there joy amid sorrow? Yes. Mighty to save the worst of the worst? Yes. That you would care to transform my life? Yes. That you would care to make me holy? Yes. Always and again, yes, in Jesus. That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. It's through Jesus. It's through him. The son of God, the Messiah, that we're trusting in him and knowing him and having him. And we, through him, we utter our amen to God for his glory. And that amen is not just this word that we throw out there. It's not just the conclusion to our prayers. It is a word that actually means truly or verily. It's used repeatedly throughout the biblical text. And even there are oftentimes within the Gospels. And in fact, if you just read the Gospel of John 25 times, Jesus starts off what he's saying with truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, you must be born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. And when we utter our amen to God for his glory, it's like our souls are testifying to the truthfulness of what we know in Christ. We're just saying, yes, yes. It's like shouting yes over and over and over again. Yes, Lord, there's such salvation in you. Yes, Lord, look at what you're doing and shaping my life ever increasingly more like Christ. Amen to him for his glory because it's for him and to him are all things. And so we trust him and enjoy him in that. A life lived of amen to God. That's done in the miraculous way where people come to faith in Christ and just have miraculous conversion. And that's the amen to God when you're reading God's word and nobody is paying any attention to you. And you're just drawing such rich communion with the Father through it. And you're like, this is amazing. And you just want to, you have to close your Bible and say, amen, amen. As you think of the, the sweet mothers who are out there praying for their prodigal children just crying out on their knees saying God I know you can save 
even the most far-flung and far-gone individual. And Father, I'm resting in your promises. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For the widows and the widowers who with tears in their eyes are holding fast to the promises through their grief. That when they read Jesus make the declaration, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who lives and believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. That you can think of that with that dear beloved one that you have lost and you miss. And you can say, Amen. Depend upon God and his dependable message. But also depend upon our triune God to establish you. And it matters in the ways in which this is revealed because he says in verse 21, it is God who establishes you in Christ and has anointed us. Depend on God to do what he alone can. That you know him as he is. Now when you think about the Trinity and you think about what that means, and I'm going to read a quote so I don't mess it up. That as we think of a good definition of the Trinity, this is from James White in his book, Forgotten Trinity, in case you wanted to read it, it's a good book. He says this, within the one being that is God, there exists three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That it's one what and three who's. That's how we ought to think of the triune God. Trinity and unity. Glory equal, majesty co-eternal, and that it is God who establishes us, who makes us reliable and dependable. It's his work in us because of who he is and the dependability that he is in himself. He displays his perfect dependability in the Trinity. He says it's God who establishes you, us with you in Christ. That it's in Christ, only through him we have access to the Father. It's by faith in Jesus that we're forgiven and set at peace with the God, the Father, against whom we've sinned. It's through Christ that we have adoption and are brought into the family as a child. And we belong to him. And there's grace and there's love. And we are anointed, as he says here. He has anointed us. Which you read, I mean, it's clearly he's alluding to the Holy Spirit. And he even makes it specifically so in the next verse. And again, we're not talking about ecstatic experiences here. We're talking about conviction, convincing, regeneration, where you are made alive in Christ Jesus and you believe. And you're covered by the Spirit and your lives are set apart for a special purpose, just like all the anointed stuff in the Old Testament. What was the whole thing with anointing things? Is there anointing things in the temple or in the tabernacle? What are they doing? They're saying, this is set apart for the glory of God. This is set apart for the glory of God. This is set apart for the glory of God. So that for every repentant believer who has received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, at the moment of your repentance and faith, you have received the Holy Spirit. What does that mean of your life? You're set apart for the glory of God. That this all finds its root in the dependability of God himself as Trinity. That all who trust in Jesus have the Spirit. And that the Trinity is the basis of our own dependence. He says, and, and, as if it wasn't enough already. And who has put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Did you see how that read? On us and in us. He's put his seal on us. 
signet, like a signature, like a mark of ownership or authenticity. Like when you're watching the Antiques Roadshow and somebody rolls up with a, you know, looks like a piece of junk. And they're sitting there and they look at the bottom of it and they see the, the maker's mark there. Like, oh, you got something here. Like, I was going to take it to the dump, but what are you saying I got here? Oh, this is priceless here. It's like a legal signature that it names the one to whom you belong. Or as we might think of it another way, it's like the this belongs to me stickers that you slap on all your stuff so that nobody claims it. If you're in Christ, you're wearing one of those stickers. You belong to him. So depend upon his claim on you. And the assurance and the hope that's found in that. Depend on his faithfulness to his promise to never leave you or forsake you. To establish you as his. Because you've been bought with a price. And his seal is on us. But it's not only on us. He says, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the testimony is on us and in us. The Spirit of God, which is in various places named specifically as the Spirit of Jesus, again testifying to the Trinity itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in our hearts. Not just the seed of emotion as we think about it in our own culture. We're talking about of understanding and of will. So that as we think of things in our affections and our decisions are rooted in the spirit of God. The spirit at work in us, teaching us and leading us and guiding us and shaping us. Testifying to the triune God who is himself dependable and that he guarantees his work. Now you might have heard that before when you picked up your car from the shop. You're like, I guarantee this work. And you might have made it 80 feet down the road and be like, I shouldn't have taken that guarantee. But I can promise you, you lay your life in the hands of the sovereign God who made you, who sustained you, who brought you to this moment so that you would hear the gospel and receive it. His guarantee lasts forever. There's no going back on it. He has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, a down payment, a pledge, a full security backed by the purchaser, which means if the Holy Spirit, who is God, is the down payment for us as a guarantee, then the full enjoyment that we look forward to is the fellowship with the triune God in heaven as we rejoice in the fact that the Father planned our salvation, the Son accomplished our salvation, the Spirit applied our salvation, and what a guarantee. Depend on Him. But see, we finish right where we began. Who do you depend on? Who are you depending on today? Who are you depending on to save you? Is it you? Would you dare look the Son of God in the face and be like, I didn't really need you, I decided to do it myself. I know you've told me that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the only way for God to be just and the justifier of anybody is that we would have faith in Jesus who lived in perfect righteousness, who died our death on the cross, who endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God for us, that all who repent and believe would have life in his name. I know you've said that, but I decided I'd take my chances with the good things that I've done. Don't do that. 
That's no guarantee, is it? And you know it. You're haunted by it. Could it possibly be this easy that all it is is turning away from your sin and trusting in Jesus? Yes. Could it possibly be that even though it means taking up your cross and denying yourself and following him and that's not always easy, could it be that he's worth it? Yes. Could it be that he will sustain you to the end to his own glory? And that if you receive him as Savior and Lord today, there will never be a moment or an ounce of regret in your life for following Christ? Yes. Who are you depending on today? And if you need to get that right, get that right. If I can help you get that right, I'll help you get it right. If you want to come forward at the end of the service, you just want to hang out in here afterward, we can have a conversation afterward. I don't really care. I just want you to go to Jesus. But for every single one of us here today, who are you depending on? Because all of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. So there's only one worthy to receive our trust, to receive our praise. But make sure you get it right before you leave here today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. Forgive us for how often we think ourselves to be so arrogantly independent. And Father, increase our dependence upon you. For the person who's here today who has depended upon themselves to save themselves, Father, we pray that you would bring them to repentance, that they would turn away from such folly and such dangerous presumption. They would flee from the wrath to come and would run to Jesus and find mercy and grace through faith in him, crucified and risen from the dead. Father, forgive us all in the ways in which we try to depend on ourselves to fix everything. Father, forgive us for how we have failed to bring needs before you in prayer because we think we can fix it all. Forgive us for not growing ever increasingly more dependent upon you because as we know you and learn you and just see and hear all of your promises, Father, increase our dependence. That whatever else happens here today, Father, may every single one of us come away more dependent upon you, resting in your faithfulness, in your promise, and the forgiveness that's found through faith in Jesus Christ. God, help us now. As we respond to you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.